Okay. Are we laughing? I feel like we should be laughing at this point. Already? Of, of the show. <laughs> we should be. Ha, 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 ha. No, we're not laughing. It was way too forced. <laughs> See, that was funny. <laughs> There's a thing though, like with Engage, like like I was saying last week when we started the show, like we always start off laughing or giggling or something whenever we kick off an episode of Engage. So, um, anyway, anyways, everyone, welcome to another episode of Engage, uh, where we talk about Star Trek. That's what we do on this podcast. We talk about Star Trek, isn't that right? Yes, that is correct. We do talk about Star Trek. I mean, it's kind of in the name. It's like a Star Trek podcast. So, I mean, we probably should be talking about Trek. I don't know. David, we, we don't have to talk about Trek if you don't want to. Okay, fine. Let's not. Okay, you want to do like a Mandalorian something? Or like The Boys or <laughs> shows Blue like, Bloods or something? A bunch of shows that I haven't watched. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I there mean, go. you're going to be talking to yourself on most of those, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> I watched one of the shows that oh. you mentioned. Oh my goodness! We're well. All right. Well, for anyone tuning in, uh, thank you and welcome back. If this is your, but if this is your first time listening to uh, one of these episodes, this is Engage, and this is um, the show where we talk about new Star Trek um, during its original uh, run, um, its original premiere run of sorts. And this week, we are going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery. Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. And I am joined by um, some amazing Starfleet officers. I got Commanders Eric and David up in the house. How are you gents doing this week? Doing good. Well, I mean, Michigan State just had a nice win today over our rival Michigan, so I'm doing really great. Okay, okay. And for those of you in listener land that can't see me, I'm actually wearing my Michigan hat. So I've been I've been in like in a in a Wolverine mood for some reason, like the last number of days. So well, that hat is why I brought up the the game. Of course it is. Of course it is. So I mean, I did see it on on um, YouTube TV. I mean, that's that's our our cable whatever we use. We use YouTube TV, and I saw they were playing, and I was, and it took me back. So, I don't think either of you knew this, but once upon a time, I was in Air Force ROTC, and uh, we did this thing with uh, MSU's um, ROTC detachment and U of M's, and I went to, I mean, Eric and I, we went to U of M. So, he's a traitor. Um, I mean, he went to U of M, but he was always rooting for, for you know, the freaking Spartans okay, for okay. out Okay, listen, my dad went to Michigan State, and both my parents went to law school at Michigan State, so I grew okay, up as a Michigan fine. State fan. All right. Fine. I won't even tell you where so. I went to school. Please tell me it is wasn't it, Ohio State. Is it Ohio State? I, I, said, I just said I, I, I won't tell you. <laughs> but yes, it was. <laughs> God almighty, how are we friends? We're not. You haven't realized oh, that Oh, okay. Why are you here? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. What Random are you good for? I don't know. <laughs> good grief. Did you, just zo- anyway. did you just Zoom bomb us or something? Yeah. Basically. Maybe I should lock <laughs> this meeting now. No passwords. <laughs> right in. You have locked the meeting. No one else can join. <laughs> but one thing that we did like every year, um, whoever was um, hosting it, 
I think it would be it would be in that town that we'd be hosting our uh, one of our balls or one of our our military things that we were doing, and um, that particular year Michigan State was hosting the game, so we all drove up to East Lansing, and um, there's this thing called like I think it's like the grog or something like that, and like everyone like brings like or contributes like a random ingredient that you make this like goop out of and if something happens you have to go get your cup stand at attention and drink it basically like a shot and like there's like some nasty stuff in there like there's some hot sauce like i think was in one of them hot sauce some like maybe thousand island dressing or italian dressing some like cold coffee um some other random stuff but anyway it always happens for the michigan michigan state game so man you guys are so wild we were that's it's like it's some kind of random tradition that i never understood and i still don't but i mean traditions that just don't make sense (laughs) that really are there really are a lot that make zero sense at all and uh anyway Eric's brother is the real hero when it comes to the military, not me, since I got medically disqualified from serving. So there we go. But um, I guess we can all get along. Michigan State, Ohio State, and Wolverines. I mean, it is what it is. So um, we have an episode that we need to talk about. But um, yeah. This, this was some interesting stuff that happened this week on week three of, of uh, 13 for new Star Trek Discovery stuffs. And uh, it, it picks up finally after, um, after Michael Burnham and Booker save the day, basically. So um, there's, a, there's, there's really just one main plot, it seems. Like, I didn't really get much of, like, a... B plot with this particular story. I mean, there might have been a little bit of one, but not as much as last week, I think. I mean, I guess you could consider the A plot all the things that are happening on the bridge, and the B plot being what's happening in engineering. Yeah, yeah, that's... I I think that's probably, probably where we'll get. And also, how long does it take to say goodbye? Apparently about a year. God damn! Like, like, okay. Listen, listen. Let, I just get the, you. Just brought this year thing. How many times in this episode were we told that Burnham was alone for a year? One like whole year. Like, we got it the first time you told us. You told us it last week for one year. You could remind us once this episode. Once this episode that it had been a year. You didn't need to tell it to us 16 times or whatever the hell, how many times they said, oh, in my one year away or the one year I was here in the future or it's been a year since I've seen any of you or it's been a year since I've been a Starfleet officer. God damn. At, at least, at least the folks on Discovery didn't then retort. It was like it was just yesterday for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that would have been awful. <laughs> oh shoot, guys. Okay, I just mm. I don't know. Like, okay, we're talking about this year thing right here at the beginning. We're jumping all over. 
one year is really not that long in the grand scheme of things, right? A lot can happen in a year, certainly. But the way Burnham was acting in this episode, it had been like she was away from the crew for like five years or something. It just, it really, her attitude didn't seem like it had been just one year. It seemed like it had been much, much longer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it I, I want to say, like, there have been, like, so many stories in Trek where members of various crews have been separated from other members of the crew for periods of time, but yet they've they've remained resolved in, in not giving up on their crew, on Starfleet, the Federation, etc., etc., and especially especially Michael who we've we've gotten to know over you know two prior seasons who's such a like a resolute character of sorts like with like the whole Vulcan culture that she's she's grown up around and like just her pig-headedness it it just doesn't for her character it doesn't make sense that she would have given up unless something groundbreaking happened in that year for that to happen. Yeah. Well, well, she did get hit awkwardly in the face. God knows how many times by her, by her virtual sparring partner. So maybe that just rattled her a bit. To her check stance, man. Okay. So I have either of y'all done martial arts. Yeah. No. No. What style of martial arts did you do, David? So I, I mean, I, I was I was boxing. I did boxing and then I did MMA. So not necessarily. Sorry, I guess I shouldn't have jumped on the martial arts question, but I, I have done competitive okay. fighting. Okay, so uh, with with MMA, I mean, like you're you're still doing. I mean, MMA is essentially like Muay Thai to a certain extent, right? Uh, well, I mean, at its core, it's mixing mixing whatever you bring to the table. So you know, here's wrestling. There's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, boxing. Yeah. You know anything you can bring to the uh, to the table really so the thing that that I was kind of like okay uh, I'm like I'm not gonna ding it that bad but just watching her check stance like after she like finished that blow I was like come on man that's a sloppy check stance that's just a sloppy check stance <laughs> whatever it takes to win <laughs> I guess I mean like that's like you're, you you keep your you keep y'all can't see me but like you keep your your thumbs in not like this like this and like you're you're cutting like I don't know it's it, I, I didn't like it but that's 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 fine I just that I don't know as someone that's done martial arts it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way like with her check stance in much the same way that um, anyone in listener land Jason David Frank who played the original Green Ranger and Power Rangers and White Ranger and Red Zeo and Turbo Ranger and Black Ranger and Dino Thunder. He gets really annoyed. He got really annoyed when, um, like, with how people would, like, use their morphers in Power Rangers because, like, the rest of the cast would, like, have, like, their hands kind of spread, like, open, like, well, y'all can't see, but, like, basically, like, making the five whenever they'd be holding, like, their morpher. And he would have his fingers like a knife basically like all put together so it, it, it's just and I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent already on stu on like power rangers and martial arts for crying out loud and star trek discovery 
What a way to start an episode. What a way, gang. What a way. <laughs> so anyway, one year later. <laughs> one year later. Yep. But we get this qu- we get this quick montage, right? Scene at the beginning. And I actually want to know I I for, as like a rule I'm against montages, just in general. That's, like, my rule. I think it's really a lazy way of writing. Um, I don't know. To me, I would much rather have seen these two separate storylines. Like, you know, okay, here's Michael in the future, and here's the Discovery separate for a little bit longer. And not get this quick montage, and then, okay, they're back together. I don't know. That was just me. I'm not a fan of montages. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if you guys would have, uh, I mean, what, what if, what if this season was literally the, the Michael Burnham year and then at the end is when you finally get discovery coming through because at that point it feels to me, uh, would potentially feel more impactful this year because it legitimately what did encompass a TV year. Mm-hmm. So, so you want to have a whole season of Star Trek Discovery, without the Discovery, and just Michael Burnham and Booker doing their thing? Well, n- no, not necessarily. I, I, I was just, it was just, I was just wondering. I don't necessarily think that that would work out for an entire season. But like you said, all we got was a montage of it, and it just, you know, we're, we're joking about this year thing, but I think it comes from a real place that none of us and I don't want to speak for you but I didn't feel a year had passed I mean we saw her hair grow no. but that was it she has a few more trinkets in her cockpit but what does that matter right and that was I think that was the thing that I brought up too last week um, towards the end or, or you know even in between conversation like her hair has grown a lot for it being a year I mean however you want to explain that away but yeah you're right like the the character doesn't feel like she's been away for a year okay like i think about like going going back to school or going and traveling to seeing someone once a year not a lot is going to make me waver in a year i mean it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense and we can split hairs all we want on this but i mean i think the general consensus is a year just doesn't make sense unless there's something that happened in that year that was so such a paradigm shift for Michael that it will explain away why the heck she is the way that she is. I have one theory and I think I've talked to David about this. Maybe not so much like the year, but maybe something else. Yeah, I think and I'm going to sound like I'm, I'm going to sound like a madman once I talk about it. Go ahead. I Eric. think there is definitely something that happened to her. Um you see it in some of her conversations where she's talking with Georgiou and Georgiou's like, you've got a taste of freedom and not following by other people's rules and you don't know if you can come back to it. And then later on at the end when she's talking with Saru, she says, you need to just give me some time to come to come back to where I was fully before this. And if there is something that big that's happened... I don't want it to just be monologue dumped on us, and I don't want it, I really don't think showing it as a flashback is the way to go either. I think showing it to us before she reunites with the crew is the better storytelling idea. 
can't. And we've seen science fiction shows and television shows in general split their split their crews apart. We saw if anybody's seen Farscape. Has anybody seen Farscape? Not the whole yeah, thing, but I know enough to be okay. in trouble. Well, Farscape splits its crew into two, and so I think it's in season three when it does this. And it, it'll have one episode, it'll be with one half of the crew on this one ship. The next episode will be with the other half of the crew on this one ship. And, like, they don't they don't tell the story of both of those in the same episode. And it worked really effectively. Um, Battlescarred Galactica did it um, very effectively, mm -hmm. how it, it split its people and its groups into different pieces, especially in the final season, um, the first half of the final season. It, like, would tell one episode, or, okay, here we're on Galactica with the fleet, and then the next episode would be with on the Cylon base stars, and then they would jump back and forth. And it was very effective. And I think we could have done something here. Even if you're telling, like, the story of Michael Burnham in her one-year gap, and then you're telling the next episode is still the discovery in the future. Like, I think you could jump back and forth between those, effectively yeah so y'all ready for my like crazy man theory i know like some of y'all don't like theories but here's my theory i'm not a theory crafter <laughs> okay so watching watching her like some of her body language and her interactions i'm wondering like with her choice so we, we find let me back up we do find out that she becomes a courier she, she's doing what, what Booker does um, to get by, to keep doing the search for Starfleet and remnants of the Federation and blah, blah, blah. Okay, we know that's a thing. That's dumped on us in this episode. And I think I told this to share this with David last week um, following our last recording. I was talking to you about something. And I have a sneaking suspicion again, I might be a crazy man, that this courier thing might be some kind of cult type of thing. And I'm wondering um, if, if it could be playing into her demeanor and her interactions with people. Hard sell for Eric. I, yeah, I can't see that being the the case here. Like, basically, Burnham allowed herself to be brainwashed by a cult. I don't know. That's that's not, that's my working theory for right now. I'm okay to be to being wrong and and it being completely thrown out the window. I'm just I'm grasping at something right now. Yeah, I I kind of think um, I, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily super high on that. Um, I kind of think it'll be sort of explained a little bit lamely, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to throw a little character assassination out here for you guys. Um, Lovely. Because this, this episode kind of just sort of solidified my I don't care anything about this one character, and now I'm really starting to not care about another character. The first, the first character, and we already kind of talked about it, was Giorgio. Like, I don't really understand mm -hmm. why she's here, aside from just making trouble. And I think her line about, you know, the, the in quotations, taste of, of freedom and, 
you know, kind of like breaking away from your Vulcan learning confines and your confines of Starfleet. Now you've went into this um, this new world where Starfleet isn't a thing anymore, and apparently this year has been super crazy impactful. <laughs> you know, the most impactful year ever, and that, it, you know, her independence and her work, whatever that might be, um, maybe feels a little bit more like home to her than Discovery. Because I'll be honest with you, um, I generally like characters who just step up and do the thing, and this leads me to my second character assassination in Suru. Um, captains make speeches, right? Picard has speeches. Uh, Kirk had speeches, you know, meaningful rally the troops. When Saru delivered his after basically Michael handed him the captaincy, and you, you, I mean, that can be disagreed upon, but I think it was handed to him. Not that maybe he doesn't deserve it, but his speech, the thing that thought went through my head is like, great. Like, it didn't have any sort of impact <laughs> on me um, like a captain should. I just, I just don't see him as the person to lead them through this new world. Now, did some great things at the end that I'm sure we can talk about a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that. But I, again, just getting back to the original point, I think that, uh, I think that they're just going to sort of explain it away, and then everything that kind of happened with Michael. Uh, you know, again, giving up the cabinetcy, just, you know, sort of going off on her own little solo mission uh, towards the end, I think is all sort of pointing a little bit to that. Now, if there's a grander explanation, cool. But a lot of times until those grander schemes are revealed, I tend to go for some more practical things, more practical sure. human things. Okay. Sure. So I have a lot of follow-up to your comment, David. Mm -hmm. A lot of follow-up. Here we go. So Here we go. Let's talk about Saru first. What, since you you weren't here on the podcast last week, yeah. what did you think about Saru in last week's episode? Because I was very positive about Saru's actions last episode, and I felt like what he did in the last episode really showed that he was a captain and he was ready to step up. Um, so I'm just curious about your reactions of what he did last week. Um. I don't know. I, I, again, like I, I just, I, I don't really see, I don't see that, that defining thing that's really turned, turned my head. I guess. Um, I mean, obviously, he is a skilled negotiator. He definitely has abilities that he doesn't necessarily show off very often. I mean, I'd love to have Suru in a combat situation. You know what I mean? Uh, he apparently can just pick you up and put you back down hard, harder than he picked you up. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just waiting for this person to feel like a captain and not just a commander. Okay. There, That's I mean, it, there, there's a, <laughs> This kind of relates back. I, I, I read a lot of um, these old nautical novels, and they talk. Uh, there's a quite a reason, reasonable bit of historical accuracy, and they talk a lot about, you know, 
master and commander is the rank before you become a post captain in old naval English naval custom. Um, and you know there was a quote in one of the books where it's like, yeah, a lot of guys make master and commander, and it's perfectly perfectly good, but not everybody's made for captain. So you can lead a ship, you can um, uh, oversee the running of a ship, but to actually be, you know. A, a captain like a like a Jean-Luc Picard or or even a Kirk you know I know some people have some blah 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 about that um, or an Archer or even a Janeway or a Cisco I think that there's there's a little bit more to that and I hope that they continue to build him up because the the worst thing that they could do is just kind of stop there goes my mic because I, I still feel like Giorgio is going to be a big problem for him eventually she's going to pop off and do something that's going to you know yeah, yeah. So, so as far as the speeches go, we yes, Star Trek is is known for its captain speeches, right? They all they all have theirs. Whether you know you got your Picard with your very academic speech, and then Cisco with his "I'm going to talk like this" speech. <laughs> <laughs> but and. <laughs> Well, he has a unique exactly cadence. That's exactly what it is, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's exactly can how he's... I live with it? Yes, I can. Okay, and so... With the eyebrows, too. Yeah, so, so you're, I think you're right about the speech he gives here. You're like, okay, it was fine. I like the fact that um, he brought in the idea of this ship is called Discovery, and let's do some discovering. I think i mentioned that when we did a podcast a while ago we talked about strange new worlds and i was like when you title a show discovery i expect there to be some discovering and you know i i like that how he brought that in here but you're right this wasn't a great speech but i do think if you go back to season one saru gave a very great speech toward the end of season one when it was learned that Lorca was not the real Lorca, but he was just capital E evil mm -hmm. Lorca. And he gives this speech, he goes like, Discovery is no longer Lorca's, Discovery is yours. And I forget the exact speech, but I do think he gave a good rousing captain yeah. speech at that moment. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll chime in on this part, like with the whole like captain speech type of thing. If we're talking about Saru and the speech, that, that season one Terran Empire speech, I think is is far greater than the one that was given in this most recent episode. That was a captain speech. And I mean, if we're, if we're really gonna rank it, then yeah, that was the captain speech and this was just like a attaboy kind of speech. But I would also say that Saru has to be the captain here. Michael Burnham cannot be the captain of this ship. She is, like you talk about captain material, Michael Burnham is not captain material, in my opinion. Like, she God. cannot be the captain of this ship. Her, the, just the way we've seen her behave over these two-plus seasons, she's, she doesn't have it, in my opinion. I want to especially kinda... Especially at this moment in time with this so-called existential crisis that she's going through. Right, right. <laughs> So this is the, I want to kind of hang out with this because this was something I wanted to talk about. Um, I realized that shows haven't always been led by a captain. Okay, case in point with Deep Space Nine, with, with Cisco, with Avery Brooks' character as um, Commander Cisco, later Captain Cisco. 
Um, and the justification with that was like, it's a space station. You got to have a commander, not a captain type of thing. And I'm what I'm kind of curious, what I'm kind of thinking about is knowing that Sonequa Martin Green's character is the main character of the show and that she's now number two. Well, she's number one, but you know what I mean? Like she's the number two on the show in ter- like what's that mean for Star Trek as y'all see it? Do you see that as an impact uh, like to the formula or just to, to Trek in general, Trek fandom in general? Well, I think I think that was the whole point um, of this show in the beginning is that they were trying something different by focusing and having our main character be a first officer and not the person in charge of the ship. They were trying to do something different than we'd ever seen Star Trek do before, always making the cap, even though we had ensemble cast, always making the captain the primary focus. And I'm okay with it. I don't have any problem with it. I would have a lot, I would feel a lot better if we had a better written character to follow. But like, that's that's not the point of this conversation right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, David? Well, I mean, I think that they're there has been a history of you know strong first officer i mean riker riker i think could carry a show without picard so i I don't it's it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility um but i think i think to eric's point i i do i think that michael's been able to do some really exceptional stuff um i i really rooted for her a lot in season two um especially towards the end and I, okay, so we're, we're all similar age. Uh, I really enjoyed action movies from the 90s because sometimes it's just nice to have a character that just kicks everybody's butt and wins. Now, if I wanted to watch uh, uh, somebody flail around for 90 minutes and then finally just, you know, head kick a guy, I'd watch a Tom Cruise movie, Okay. <laughs> But that's not always what I want. So sometimes I just want the character to win. I don't want the the existential crisis to continue forever and ever and ever and ever. And unfortunately, the pattern with Michael is she betrays her captain in season one. And then is effectively a prisoner. What's that? Um, I said spoilers, everyone. Then just kidding. I mean, if you... (laughs) So anyway. If you're if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen season one, like yeah, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this episode is not spoiler free. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but, but even in season two, you know, you, you have an element of, of fitting in, and it's like, please, just fit in for once. But I, I, I sort of see, like, at least the early part of this season, and she's saying it very blatantly, I need time to readjust. I need time to fit in and find myself back in this community. I would kind of just like her to fit in and just be the BA, kind of BA officer, at least for a little while. Just for a little bit. Yeah, it, it's interesting that she does keep, like, needing to try and fit in, and she never feels like she fits. When you think... I mean, some people will say that this was a problem with Voyager, but we had a Starfleet crew and a Maquis crew that seemed like they fit together pretty fast, pretty pretty well, pretty quickly. 
Some people would say that that was a problem with Voyager, this, that they came together a little too quickly and a little too nicely. But I think your point is definitely valid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, okay, so I do want one more thing. I'm unpacking David's yeah. original statement like 10 minutes ago. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And it's I about. for a week and we have to go through every single thing. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Right. It's about it's about Georgiou. And I'm totally with you there. I think her story is is over. Like her usefulness to this story is over. And as I said, I think it probably would have been better for her if she had like sacrificed herself to to destroy control at the end of season 2. And I was like I don't really see the purpose of her going to the future. And I was very critical of her last week because her only purpose last week was to be a foil to Saru. Saru was trying to assert his control over the ship, and she was just there at every moment just trying to pick him apart. And I said, that's fine to do this once. That's fine to do that once. But if that is her sole purpose for this entire season, then kick her out just like get rid of her she has no narrative use if that's her only purpose and we see in this episode it seems like that's her only purpose in this episode as well there's there's the scene okay when they're all putting on starfleet uniforms she puts on an admiral uniform like okay why did she do that probably to undermine saru like to me that's the only reason i can think of her putting on an admiral uniform we see when Book comes onto the ship, he meets there with Georgiou at first, and Georgiou says, I like to know what's going on on my ship. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. And it's like, mm -hmm. this is not your ship, lady. This is not your ship. And then on the bridge during the firefight scene later, she's like contradicting Saru at every moment and I'm like lady you need to just stop you are not in the Terran em Empire anymore your word is not gospel like there's a captain of this ship just shut the hell up did y'all yeah. I don't know if y'all noticed this at all but I'm with you Eric um the last, so each episode, she's made an, um, some kind of reference to, you know, jumping between universes or the worlds that they're in or, or whatever. Did y'all did y'all pick up on that? Um, I I noticed that she said it. I didn't really read too much into it. Yeah, yeah, pr pretty much the same. I I guess it didn't so, really poke into mind. <laughs> Well, like, so, um, I think it was episode one, she was saying something like... She's not, um, she's not in episode Eric, one. Eric, you're my she's, quote she's, machine. She's not in episode one. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. Last episode, she was talking about, um, like, exploring and in, in checking out different universes and stuff like that. And then, like, in this one, at the transporter pad, she was saying... Um, My goodness, I should have written this down. <sighs> anyway, she was talking about, like, maybe in this world. Like, almost like it was just like... Like, let's just leave this alone. But, like, 
maybe in this world it, or, or in another world it would have been different. So I'm almost wondering, and again, this is like my conspiracy theorist coming out, but like I'm wondering if like these are like little hints, little Easter eggs for her departure from Discovery um, to get her back into whatever she's going to do with Section 31 if that show actually takes off. Well, I have a question for that. Yeah. It is yeah. it is not common knowledge that she is Emperor Georgiou. It's like most of the people on the ship think she is Captain Philippa Georgiou of the Shenzhou, right? Who's who's in on it? Burnham's in on it. Um Saru's in on it. Um and Stamets. And then Till and then Tilly. But the rest of the crew thinks that this is this is Captain Georgia of the Shenzhou, don't they? I think so. Because I mean, I mean that's so. that's what I think. Because yeah. um, I don't buy for one sec. At the end of season two, she tells she tells Captain Pike, "By the way, I'm tearing from your mirror universe," and he goes, "What's the mirror universe?" And he winks at her like he knew all the time. I don't I don't buy that for one second that he knew who she was the whole time at all. Mm. Can I nitpick one more thing before we finally start this no. this discussion? I mean, we're, we're into this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last episode, it was the whole fix the things and Stamets is hurt. They fixed the thing and Michael Burnham tractor beams them out and now they're all standing on the bridge and Stamets is okay? Did I miss something? Nope, you didn't miss anything, right? They didn't need that plot device anymore. No, they didn't. What, what don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> that comment. No, no, and listen. Why are we standing on the bridge, okay? If we're, if we're debriefing why are we not sitting around a conference table? Why are we there standing we on the bridge doing this debrief? <laughs> God damn it. Just sit around a table. Will you just do that for me once? No. Sit down around a damn table and do your debriefing there. Why? Like, like does it even make sense for them to do this debrief where she's standing on the bridge and they're all at their stations? Well, they broke the table in the ready room. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> ah, <laughs> you know what? I, this just popped into mind, and maybe I'm forgetting. But did we? Uh, oh wow, I'm forgetting her name. The 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 female uh, engineer that they picked up. Has she? Adira? Has she been in? Was she in this episode at all? Did I miss her? Uh, 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 Jet Reno? No, she wasn't in this episode. Oh, Jet Reno? No. Yeah, okay. where'd she go? Yeah. Well, well, like, like this is the thing. She wasn't in this episode. Nor was I mentioned last week that. Um, Commander Nan, the actress who played her, was in the opening credits last week, and she's not in this episode. Doesn't it make sense? And she's the chief of security of the state of the ship now. Yeah, she wasn't doesn't it make either. Doesn't it make sense if you're in a if you're in a firefight or you've got random inspectors boarding your ship? Don't you think you could write a scene for your chief of security? Man. I mean, doesn't that seem like a big glaring issue to not have? 
You've got inspectors, random random people beaming onto your ship and searching the place up and down. And you don't want to bring in and at least talk to your chief of security? I, I totally forgot about her too. Yeah, she wasn't there. And like she was in the she was literally in the opening credits last week. And I thought like, oh, she's in the opening credits. She's gonna be a main cast member now. But she's kind of a big deal now, yeah. Nope. Not not in this episode. Well, we have to introduce wow. a new character, so we gotta, we gotta not show other old characters for to bring a new character on. But like, I, the, the, there's only so much budget allowed. No, but like, but like, I feel like we've we've been. Tell me about the characters that are already here, like. I want to know more about Det. What's going on with Detmer? Like, there was this whole story. Does she have PTSD? Or yeah. did something? Is there something else going on with what happened with her last week? And that got like dropped. Tell me more about that rather than bring in a well, new character. Let, give me more Awusakun. Like, I like Awusakun. Give me some more of hers, just so I can say that name a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't need new characters. Like, develop the characters who are already here. Come on, Eric. Just say it. Just say the name. Awusakun. <laughs> say it. That's like the that's like the greatest name in Star Trek. Awusakun. Come on, Jerry. <laughs> say it. Awusakun. At least I can remember Woosakun. these names. I get Bryce and Reese mixed up. Yeah, like they just sound too much alike. They do, Reese and Bryce, yeah. And I, I for but yeah, wh wh where is where is Commander Nan? Like, is she just is she eating some non bread or something in the in the lunchroom or something? Nan bread, non bread, I don't know what it's called. See, see now here, nutter here's butters. what happened. Here's what actually happened from an insider. Okay, I love it. So I love it. Basically, David's got the inside back scoop. Injury transferred to her. So her mm. and the other engineer, they're they're just in sick bay. Mm. They did yeah, a what about, what about back the big injury giant? transference method. Yeah, Doctor uh, Colbert wasn't in this episode either. <laughs> yeah. I just want more. I want more Doctor Colber. I like him. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> Maybe there's fixing stuff somewhere. Playing some backgammon. Fixing the accordion thing up in the Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that is. And like, does this ship have a chief engineer? So okay, because because this, this is a good point. As, as far as I'm concerned, Stamets isn't an engineer. Stamets wouldn't even be in like your engineering, I guess, reds at this point. Like, as far as I'm concerned, he would be in your science blues, like Spock. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I'm wondering, like we, we do have a new character that we're that joined the crew this week, and that's Adira, and we can talk a little bit more about her a little later on if we really want to, but we should honestly. But like, I'm wondering if they're positioning her to become like the chief engineer of the ship, because to y'all's point, like, wh where's the engineer? Where's the chief engineer? Because like. Stamets is like maybe the closest thing to an engineer the ship has had. It's a science vessel that's, you know, doing like some sketchy stuff. And I do need to talk. We do need to talk about the mycelial network and their and how they're using it and like what 
happen in season two and like maybe some implications, but like I'm I, to my point, like I, I think that they maybe there's a possibility that a deer is going to be positioned to join the crew fully as maybe a chief engineer since we don't have one and we need one. I mean, you could just make it. Because stuff keeps going boom. You could just make it be Jet Reno. Like, give it to her. Yeah. Like. Can, can we also talk about, can we just talk about that character There's a lot right of things now? we need to talk about, apparently. Because I, I do have a. Adira? I, yeah, I have a question yeah. um, that I, I didn't look up. Maybe I should have, but I don't know. Uh, so, if I'm remembering correctly, she's a human. Mm-hmm. With a symbiote, with a trill symbiote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have we established that humans can carry trill symbiotes? Yes, yes. that was a yes. So I was that was a TNG episode. Yeah, I was going to bring this up I too. Mean, long when, term. When well, I was going to bring this up too when we got to the end and we had discussed okay. all the plot elements. But yeah, let's 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 do it now. Uh, so so uh, Chase, uh, you could yeah, you were going to talk about it too, but um, Riker. In the, in the very first episode where we met the Trill, the TNG episode, the host, Riker mm-hmm. volunteered to be the host of the Trill. But he was the host of this symbiote for two day, like two days. And it basically, ki- it almost killed him. That's weird. I, mm-hmm. I completely don't remember that for some reason. But but again, I mean, my question was more towards like the, yeah, like you like you said, no. the time that you could Like you said, it, I mean, it was a day, maybe two, that he was the yeah. host just to continue. It was a very short And it almost, short it almost killed Riker. And right. then, and so I was wondering that too. And then I'm like, when Jadzio died, um, they were transporting the symbiote back to Trill, but... They had to stick it in Esri because she was the only Trill on board. And I'm like, um, if you could stick a Trill inside a human being, stick it in a human for the journey back to Trill and then find an actual person there. Now, maybe that was a little different because the Dax symbiote was injured, like when Jadzia was injured. So maybe a human couldn't take it, something like that. But I was curious about this, too. Uh, It seems to me that the, the this story here is telling us that she's been the host of this symbiote for two years ever since the, the the admiral who was carrying him died before. And I'm like, I don't think that's possible for two years. Well, and, and I think part of what we might see is like, we, we find out in this particular story that Yes, it's inside, but no, they, she can't access the memories. Adira can't access the memories of the host. So I'm wondering if part of the story element and what we're going to be seeing with this particular character is like, okay, well, you're closed off from the memories. Is that to ensure viability of, of Adira and like ensuring safety? Because like that's going to make sense to me. And we saw like... I know some folks don't like like spoilers like from the previews, so I'm sorry, but I just have to bring it up. Like we see something with Adira being hooked up to something, and it's it looks as if she's trying to tap into those trill memories, just from what I'm extrapolating. I don't know. Um, what do y'all what do y'all gents think about well, that? Well, you know, I, I kind of thought the same thing. They said she doesn't have access to all of her memories, but I also got the sense that they talked about her being a a teen whiz kid engineer and to me the impression was it wasn't Adira that was 
the engineering whiz. It was the symbiote giving her the knowledge to become this whiz. So it's like they're trying to do it both ways. Um, and I don't know if it works. Yeah, that, that was the impression that I got. I, I kind of felt like they were trying to set this up as, you know, there there's there there's a connection, but it's not like a full full on you know, they don't have the Ethernet cable hooked up, but she's on Wi Fi for now. Uh, because she's not a trill, maybe. At least that's the impression I got. But she still mm-hmm. benefits from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Bashir likened it to like two computers networked together and working together. And maybe there's mm-hmm. like. They'll pull, they'll plug it in just a little bit, and then they'll unplug it, and it's not like continuously, two computers continuously linked together. <laughs> no, I sorry, I was just like, have you uh, have you turned it on and uh, turned it off and turned it back on again to fix your connection with your symbiote? Have you tried reinitializing the power converters? <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm done. I'm not going to continue that one. I could, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, 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 so I, I do have a question while we're talking about Adira here. Um, and I want this to be, I don't want to sound like a complete asshole when I talk about this, but um, we were told before Discovery started that Star Trek was making history where we were going to have uh, the first ever transgendered Star Trek character and the first ever non-binary character and I just heard those but I didn't I didn't look at any information about who was going to be playing these characters or how big of a role they were going to be and apparently Adira this is our non-binary character and I I don't want to be like an asshole like I didn't even realize that that's who this was supposed to be until I went and did some you know internet review reading some reviews and stuff so my question i guess is am i an asshole for not realizing that this is who this was supposed to be and is it the actor that's not actor actress actor whomever uh that's that's the non-binary is it the character that's non-binary or is it both like i like call me an asshole if you need to but i i don't understand what's going on here well, the- I, I really think I think Blue Debario, the name of the I think I'm getting the, the actor's name right. Ian Alexander. I think. Well, Ian. Do what? No, no. Blue Debario is this character. Ian oh, Alexander is going to be bad. the the. Tr- Ian Alexander is going to be the trans character. I was on the wrong page. My bad. Okay, so, so Blue. I'm pretty sure Blue is the one that, the the person, right? Blue is, a non-binary individual that is playing this particular character and however the heck this character manifests right like we know like just from what we know about Jadzia and Ezri that it can go however the heck it wants to go I mean we we got enough DS9 to be able to like fill in the gaps of like Trill but I think it's the fact that it's a non-binary actor is a first more so than a character first just to kind of sift through but is the character supposed to be non-binary as well because I don't know, just to me, I was getting feminine vibes from this character. And like I said, I am I an asshole? I don't know. So I'm I'm at um, you know, 
using memory alpha right now as we're talking about this. And uh, some, there's some background information. It says, although Tilly and other characters initially refer to them using feminine pronouns, according to StarTrek.com and a GLAD interview with Blue, De- Blue Del Barrio, Adira actually identifies as non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. Um, and it says, Adira is the second human known to become host to a Trill symbiont following William Riker. So there we go. Okay. Okay. So it's both. And no, and no, and no, like, no, Eric, you're not. No, I, I wouldn't call you that, man. Okay. And I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, like, it's okay to not know, like, what the heck's going on. Like, because if you have someone that is or is not, and they're portraying someone that is or is not a certain whatever, put put a label on there, okay? Um, you you got to kind of give some people the benefit of the doubt and, like, let them figure it out or let them discover it on their own. And if you don't know, you don't know, and people correct you. I mean, like... It just it is what it is, and I mean I hope I hope that we can give ourselves enough mercy and enough grace, and that the listeners will also give us some mercy and some grace as we, you know, sift through this and make sense of this. Because like I know gender identity is important to people, right? And it and it's it's part of who they are, and not everyone sees that, accepts that. But we just gotta kind of take it for what it is and respect people um, to a certain point without. You know, imposing values back backwards and forwards. So I'm going to leave that alone. No one hate tweet me, please. I'm I'm trying to be kind about this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be respectful is what I'm getting at. Does that does that does that help, Eric? Yeah, that helps. Okay. Good talk, everyone. Good talk. Okay. So 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 listen. <laughs> let's let's just keep with Adira here. Let's keep with Adira. Okay. So I know we're going out of order with our plot stuff. Or we, we don't we don't have to keep with her if you want to stay in order with the plot. No, no, we can keep on. We can talk about a deer. I like okay, a deer. So so far. So she basically sabotages the ship, so the inspectors can't transport off the ship. And she's she gives this explanation. Well, I did that because I wanted more time on the ship, but like. You're in the middle of a firefight and you're trapping all of these people on the ship? Does that make sense? I mean, don't you think you'd want to let your people, like, not be put in danger? Especially if you're potentially, you know, you have the memories of an admiral, a Starfleet admiral within you. It seems kind of a strange thing to do. Well, but is that the is Again. that the mind of the child, or I don't want to say child, but the mind of the younger person kind of, of a, kicking of in, a like 16 the decision making still a little bit mixed up. Maybe it's like, right. well, they're never going to let me leave, or you know that type of deal. So I have to find a way to stay. Right. Well, and and she, they, sorry, they um, hold the 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 position, the rank. I don't. know, Is it a position or is it a rank of inspector? I would say um, position, probably. Okay. So so Adira is an inspector. Surely Adira could have been like, hey, um, I want to stay behind and check some things out. And then made a case to Saru or to Stamets or someone being like, I want like asylum or I want something. I want to stay with y'all. And then like beam the heck out. 
the only thing I'd add on to that is um, I don't want to fly too far forward, I guess, but the reaction in the beginning and then the reaction at the end were two very different mm-hmm. things. So perhaps the reaction in the beginning would dictate a very different reaction from you know, our Earth crew for her potentially wanting to uh, defect. Is that a is that a, the word we'd use? Or? I kind of feels like that's what she did. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I, th- I think the leniency perhaps was was a little bit a little bit widened towards the end of the episode given the circumstances. So I, I don't know. I I, I kind of again I just equate it to I've got to do whatever I can type of deal because it's mm-hmm. very clear that she just you know she needs a you know, break, fresh start, do something else type of deal. Mm-hmm. So. And then and then we see her, like, during this whole confrontation firefight, she's, like, doing something up in a Jeff... She's doing something up in a Jeffrey's tube, uh, examining the ship, whatever, and Stamets comes down, and he's like, I know what you did, I know you sabotaged this somehow, like, I'm on to you! And, and he basically just, to get her trust, he lays everything out. And I don't have a problem with the scene with what happened there, but, like, Chase, you're the music guy, and David, you've got the guitars behind you, so I'll ask both of you this. And I know, Chase, you've said before that you're not a fan of Jeff Russo in general, but the music in this scene where they're talking, what the hell was that? It was awful! Did either of you have this reaction to the music in that scene? <laughs> to, to be honest with I, you, it's weird, but I don't even remember it. Like I was like, I will, It was like boop 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 boop. I'm like, what is what the is this? <laughs> like, just go back and watch that scene where they're the with the lighthearted yeah, portion. Yeah, it's like yeah. what like what. Why? Why would you make this choice as a composer to score this scene that way? And I thought for yeah. sure, Chase, you were gonna have something to say about this because you always have something to say about the music. <laughs> you always have something to say. Always have something to say. <laughs> no, I, I like Eric. You're gonna give me a look, but like, but I, I did like the the lighthearted feel to it. it was it was wrong man it just did not fit it just dramatically it did not fit this scene i i'm i'm a little scared to to try and locate the music um wait hold on hold on do you have like oh, I'm, I'm, uh, online or on itunes or something spotify i'm afraid well i if i if i play it through all access. Like, if I try and do that, then I'm wondering if I'm going to get, like, flagged and, like, sued by CBS or something. Don't get DMCA, buddy. (laughs) You know, like, me trying to give you free advertisement, right, for talking about your stinking show. Um... I don't know. I just... I had to to mention this, because it just bugged bugged the hell out of me. Yeah, I can't. Well, is this it? No, it's not it. I'm trying to find the stupid music. 
I can play it on again. I can play it through the thingy majig. That's all right. We don't. I don't need to hear it again. I heard it twice. <laughs> I'm good. I think he really wants to hear it. <laughs> I, I'm good. But like I know Chase, you've said before, you're not a fan of Jeff Russo. I'm not, and I will say this about Jeff Russo. I watched The Ready Room actually on CBS All Access for the first time this season because it actually showed up when I wanted to watch it. And hearing him talk about the fact that he's standing um, amongst giants of Star Trek music, I'm like, darn right you are. You're darn right you are. Best know you'll place, son. <laughs> I, I listened to that too, yeah, and I was like, yeah, and you're like at the bottom. There are giants I way up here, and you are not on their level. Jerry Goldsmith, can can I just gush a little bit about Jerry Goldsmith for just a second? Like, the man is a legend when it comes to music and like scoring films. Like, whether it's Disney or Star Trek or anything in between. He knows how to convey emotion and not only emotion, but the, the emotion of the story that is trying to be told in a moment. Like he can arrange like just one one little bar of music that's gonna probably convey like one or two sentences and it hits and it lands so darn well. Like with, with Jerry Goldsmith among others right and there's there's others you know in in all of trek that have done that like we see that in voyager and in deep space nine and and so on and so forth and i have a little bit of sympathy for jeff russo i'm not going to completely trash him but he's a fan of star trek he said that his his um star trek i think was next gen if i'm not mistaken so he's used to he's used to hearing like the goldsmiths um, and company, Goldsmiths at all, basically composing Star Trek, and here he is as a fan trying to live up to these giants, and that's a tall order, man. Like you, you have some giant shoes to fill, and I think part of it is nerves. I think the the Picard wasn't that bad, like in terms of like the the soundtrack, except for the opening doohickey. I thought I thought that the very last song and the intro should have been swapped, and we've we've talked about that on the Picard Engage at the the retrospective. Yeah, I think. we had that conversation. We both agreed. We did have we that. Both agreed on that. And I was honestly hoping for like a rescoring or a redoing, a rearranging of the opening um, opening intro for Discovery because it just it's such a different. We're in a different time now. Like I think we should have like a different sound, and so far. I'm kind of liking it because we're getting a lot of Star Trek callbacks um, with the music. It's it feels more like Star Trek. I feel like we are getting the beard, like we've, we're we're growing our beard um, this season, and I think the music is is kind of catching up in a way. So apart from like the whole like the light, fluffy stuff that Eric doesn't like, it, it's not so that there. it's. it's it's not that it was terrible music. It just didn't fit this scene at all. And, like, I think that's a big part of music is it has to fit where, where you know, the score has to fit. 
Okay, I've checked my music box for this episode. I think we can keep moving. Okay, all right. <laughs> so listen, we're an hour into this podcast, and we haven't even talked about Earth yet. No. Should we talk about Earth? 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 I mean, talk- this episode yeah. is called People of Earth, so I feel like yeah. we should talk about Earth, right? Yeah. So, okay. So we're we're rescued, and we do the whole spore drive jump to earth uh, actually we jump basically to titan to saturn to, to, to saturn and titan and stuff and then we just but gang okay let's let's talk about something real quick before we talk about the people of earth it's a billion miles from titan to earth i just want to put that out there okay a billion miles. Yeah, traveling at, I don't traveling know. at full impulse, it should take about five hours to from Saturn to Earth at full impulse. So there you go. Just wanted, oh, I, I had to make I, sure that I, made I, it in there I somewhere. did the math because this bugged me too. They got there in, what, 15 seconds? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, a, a year. A year went by in between this, so... Maybe when we talk in terms of here, let, let's get the mathematics going. So the year is more likely 10 years, which means that full impulse took five hours. It just in a blink of an eye. Okay. Everything is in the blink of an eye. Okay. People of Earth. People of Earth. It's the name of this episode. Yes. And we get there. Okay. We get there. And, and there's some kind of array. There's a big wall around Earth, right? Or as Tony Stark would say, a sheet of armor around the world. <laughs> right? You are correct, sir. <laughs> and <sighs> what do we say? We, we wanted Earth to be our safe haven, our safe harbor. But when we get there, we're told, you are not wanted here. Turn around and go back from wherever you came from. Were you were you guys at all? Um, I don't I don't want to say surprised, but I, my first thought was well, my more likely my second thought when we actually started meeting these people um, was why did they even give them a warning? Why did they give them a, a warning to go away? Because it seemed like they were maybe maybe it's maybe it's just more like eh, we have good defenses now, but it seems like through the history got real ruthless. And it just—I don't know. Okay, you gave them a warning to stay away. Is there still mm-hmm. that curiosity, or I mean, is Earth is Earth well, that bad? I—I I, I always looked at it. I looked at it when I was watching this. Is humanity is evolved in Star Trek, right? Humans in Star Trek are nothing like humans in real life. They're evolved, and even though they become isolationist. They're still not, you know, trigger happy. We're still, we still care about life and, and preserving that. And we're going to give you every opportunity to just leave before we, before we resort to violence. Yeah, but in, in a way, doesn't that kind of contradict what they might have had? To, I mean, we don't really know what they had to do, but doesn't that kind of counterman the isolationism and the potential that they had to go through in order to get there to being strong enough to combat their enemies 
No, I, I think you're making a fair point of it seems like these people of Earth have been through quite a bit um, with a constant attacks that, you know, maybe they maybe they would be more on guard than than they are here. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they glad they weren't because it kind of seemed like their weapons could uh, <laughs> pretty much kill off discovery there. <laughs> one shot took a shield. So, yeah, one shot. And when we meet, um, I, I liked how they talked about her. For anyone that um, hasn't watched The Ready Room, I liked how they, they kind of described Captain Ndoye. I don't know if I'm getting ahead too much, but they talked about the whole, um, like, guarded empathy. And I think that's a really good way of, of describing her. Um, so she, she's got, like, like you were saying, like, we're kind of evolved, you know, 900 some odd years later. We're not... 21st century humans uh, and we're not trigger happy we've evolved past that even though like earth has dealt with some like some major crap in the most in most recent history the fact that we haven't gone full Terran empire on the universe I think is good and that's the thing that I was kind of something I was kind of picking up on was like this vibe of like this is probably our last chance as as a planet before we do become a Terran empire like if things don't seriously turn around this is like some serious groundwork that's being laid to become a true Terran Empire and see a true manifestation of the mirror universe and Eric I know you don't like it but that I know you don't like the mirror universe it's not, it's not that I don't like the mirror universe is that that that's not where I want our story to be to focus because I've put my emotional my emotional investment into the Federation and that's where I want to focus yeah. on. Not like if the entire story, fifty years, was told about the Terran Empire, then I would care about it more. But that's not where I put my emotional in investment. Right. I get you. I get you. And I think like one message that we can kind of get from it is, you know, you there's still there's there's still opportunity to um, have reconciliation and redemption um, as a society and as individuals um, looking at it from like the the um, defense force which I called by the way the what? I, I posted that on our Facebook group the what the earth defense the force oh okay Yeah, I, t I totally called that, by the way. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, I... Listen. As long as we're talking about what the changes that have gone on with Earth here, there's a scene where they go into the ready room, and Saru and Burnham are there, and they're talking with Captain Adoye, and they're like, the people on this ship consider Earth their ancestral home, and all we want to do is check in with Starfleet. And she says that it was no longer safe for Starfleet and the Federation to be on Earth. And they left a hundred years ago. But I'm thinking, like, how old is this defense network around your planet? Is Did you develop this defense network within the past 100 years? Like, how long did it take you to build that? Because it seems like that defense network could have protected the Federation and Starfleet while they were on Earth. 
But then, then something that just really didn't sit well with me is Saru's like, so you mean Earth is not a part of the Federation anymore? And Captain Adoye says, we can take care of ourselves. Why would we be? And, like, if, like, the burning rage inside of me didn't start to boil up when she said that, like, she, Earth is no longer part of the Federation. Why would we need be? We can take care of ourselves. That's not the point. That is so not the point of the Federation. Yeah. The idea of the Federation was that collectively we are stronger together. And and by bringing all of this diversity together, we will be stronger together than we ever were on our own. Yes, Earth could have taken care of itself before. Vulcan could have taken care of itself before. Andoria and Teller, they were able to take care of themselves before. But by joining together, they became stronger. And Earth was the driving force behind this whole thing. We saw in a lot of Star Trek leading up to this that humans build communities. It's what they do. And this evolved idea of humans. And I get, listen, I don't want to get too political here. I don't want to get too political. But Star Trek has always been political, uh, going back to the original series. And it's always been left-leaning and progressive in its political views. And I get that this episode is trying to make a political point about isolationism. I get it, I get it, I get it. But that is not what humans in Star Trek are. Humans build communities. They bring people together, and that is the whole point. So don't tell me Earth is no longer part of the Federation because why would we be? We can take care of ourselves. Oh, it's just a mm, burning rage inside of me. Yeah, but that, that's that's always been something that you know does crop its head up as as a present concern um, about and. When you talk about politics, that's also a very political thing that happens from in our world perspective as well about, uh, you know, looking, looking to home, you know what I say? You, you know what I mean? Lo looking to the, to your homeland and, and making it, uh, the best you can, so to speak. Um, and I, and I guess I guess sort of the problem that we have here is that we don't have any direct knowledge of the attacks. You know what happened after the Federation kind of you know fell after the after the the burn. So in that respect, is it is it reprehensible that a people that you know, as you say, had kind of went forth and, and built and helped and um, spread and, you know, tried to do the right thing for so long, eventually upon their moment of um, uh, you know, a trial or something of that nature, words, that they turned inward. And I think that the issue there is is that's not necessarily Star Trek, but it is very real. And I think that that would be a far more real reaction. And, and I get that, and I see your point, but, but I'll give two historical examples of, of what happened. Um, after World War I, Woodrow Wilson's 
primary he it was his 13 points 12 points whatever he called them i forget mm-hmm. i think it was 13 um mm-hmm. one of them was the league of nations right and, you know we that we just been through this traumatic world war one it was called the great war at that point and and the american president said let's build the league of nations let's let's like you know let's not all withdraw on ourselves now the league of nations eventually collapsed because the united states didn't join the league of nations and without without them behind it it collapsed and then after world war ii which was basically just a continuation of world war one they took a 12-year break um uh what happened after world war ii we created the United Nations, and the the U.S. became a part of that, and and said, and we said, hey, don't all withdraw after we've been through this big war. Let's let's come together and create a place where we can work together, and and that's real as well. Sure. Yeah. It was the fourteen points, by the way, oh, that Wilson fourteen points addressed. Yeah, fourteen points, and that was in um, nineteen eighteen when he had made that address. Yeah. And and I think and I think I'll just continue on this isolationist point. Um, we have seen in season one of Discovery, the Klingons or Takuvma and the rest of the Klingons wanted to start this war because, you know, they had this sense this sense of national pride, if you will, and their rallying cry was "Remain Klingon, don't let this outside force encroach on us," and that was painted as the wrong idea to have right Mm -hmm. and in star trek 6 the undiscovered country you know here we're saying that the right thing to do to move forward is for the klingons to no longer be isolationist but to open formal negotiations with the federation so you've got all of this history and all of these statements that star trek is making that are anti-isolationist and i guess this is trying to make the point of also being anti-isolationist i just don't like the fact that it's earth being the isolationist planet and i and without and i think we've been we've we've talked about this a lot um just with like this part of of this episode but i mean like you go back to um to season one in fact you just Klingons in general have have been the character that have meant to represent the other in society. Like you go back and like that's just kind of how it's how it's been. And then when Discovery came out, um, I mean we've been talking about politics anyway, so like what the heck, why not? Like um, Kurtzman and company laid out Klingons to be a critique on the the radical right so to speak like trump supporters in general were now the cling the klingons in discovery and this whole isolationist type of thing like you're talking about like remain klingon you know and like i think it was um trump's inaugural speech where it was america's america first was the thing that he continued to say over and over again um during his his initial in his inaugural inaugural address america first remain klingon and this is this is not a coincidence. I don't care like what side of the aisle you're on politically. Like this is without a doubt 
a critique against the Trump administration and the the isolation, the the, the, the remain like keep America great, make America great again stuff that he he says as part of his his rallying cry as the leader. And Trek is meant to get you to think about the other perspective. So regardless of whether you see yourself as um, a conservative or a liberal in, Amer in American politics, maybe this is something to think about and like how you look at and approach it. Because start, I mean, good sci-fi gets you to think about things from a different perspective. So there we yeah, go. Yeah, and, and if we just, we'll just continue this political discussion just real quick and then we'll put it to put it to rest. We see these these two factions, this Earth Defense Force and this group of pirate raiders led by Wen. Like the big reveal is that Wen is a human and these are this is a human colony that basically had a disaster and they could no longer take care of themselves and so they resorted to being raiders to try and steal dilithium and dilithium was what was going to allow them to to travel and find the resources that they needed to build themselves back up better right build back better isn't that isn't that joe biden's um campaign build back better <laughs> um anyway um <laughs> so you they sent out their first um their first like convoy to make contact with earth and the people of Earth shot it down immediately without even without even trying to respond. And I guess that goes to David's point earlier of why did they why did this defense force not just immediately fire upon them now when we learned that that's what they did earlier. And that's what started the animosity between these two groups. And this is obviously an allegory or a parable or whatever you want to call it of fighting over oil right different groups of humans right trying to fight over oil this commodity that helps us travel like it's it's obvious that that's what it's meant to be and if you don't see that you didn't pay enough attention did anyone else get um star trek insurrection vibes in this episode besides me no but i would like to hear why you said that these so so insurrection I, I will say this like it's not my favorite but over time i've grown to appreciate it as a star trek movie um and it's probably one of the more star trekky of the star trek movies out there um in insurrection we we have um a people that some wanted to you know, kind of just chill and be more agrarian of sorts and others wanted to be more exploring and, and go do other things. And over time they ended up, uh, part of, part of these people ended up on this other planet and they made it their own, so to speak. And the people like the, the, the other people that we, the Sona, right? Like they're, they end up getting butt hurt by the Baku. Um, it's just the best way to put it. They get all butt hurt and like it, they just are at odds with each other and they're just, they get like one of them is more violent in their presentation with the other and trying to steal resources, trying to get resources so that they can have the life that they want to have versus other people wanting to keep the resources so that they can live the life that they want to have. And there's, there's like an impasse with having like a discussion uh, with one another 
and it finally took the Federation, it took Picard, basically standing up to Admiral Dougherty saying, screw you, dude, we, we're going to do this the Federation way. And at the very end, there's a reconciliation that happens, and they talk about how it's going to take time for wounds to be healed. So I saw, I saw this episode of Insurrection kind of running parallel with each other, like with the message of just shut up and talk to one another. Stop fighting and start talking and start to let these wounds heal. And maybe we can work together again and share resources and, and be a society again. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good comparison. That I, it's obvious now that you said it. Um, why didn't I think of that? What do you think, David? You're being like, all oh, quiet on Well, I, I mean, as far as it goes, I, I, I do get your analogy. I, I Honestly, I think it's just attempting to return back to some semblance of what the Federation stands for, and that is the negotiation, that is the the talking and seeing things from other perspectives and attempting to bring people together as opposed to, um, you know, keeping them apart. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. definitely in that respect, it... it it very much, very much is, um, you know, sort of akin to, to insurrection. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, um, like, even old school, old school um, Star Trek. Um, Eric, I'm about to tap you in on the episode name. The um, the alien races that look alike, but they say we're not alike. Are you talking about um, let that be your last battlefield? Yes, the, that's the black it. and white you. people. Yep, one people yep. are black on one side, the other people are black on the other. Mm-hmm. That's a good episode. Yep. So I think we're getting more... I'm seeing more of, like, the Trek that we grew up with. Um, like, glimmers of it um, showing up in Season 3. More so than the prior two seasons. So yeah. We've been jumping around a lot, but I feel like we're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we could talk about like the battle scene and how Burnham again displays how she should not be the captain by just taking it upon herself to um, to to do this mission or whatever you want to call it, and she doesn't mm-hmm. consult Saru, and she's like, better to ask for forgiveness than permission, and like. I know a lot of people have that mentality, but that's not the Starfleet mentality. That's not the mentality I would want out of my first officer ever. How how is Saru? There's I think there's plenty of room for forgiveness and stuff. Like Star Trek shows that, and like redemption and stuff. But like, how is Saru? Like this is just a legitimate question. Like how in the world is Saru willing to entertain the idea of of Burnham being the first officer? Well, what other choice does he have? I mean, non? I guess. Why not? Non? Uh, Stamets? I don't know, but like, like, Burnham keeps doing what Burnham wants to do. So let, let, let me just let me just pause there and let me ask you something. So, Burnham doing what Burnham wants to do. So, what if she was captain? Oh, shit. So, so, you're basically... This is an argument of rank. Because the thing is, is that a captain will do, essentially... I mean, maybe not what they want to do. Let's not get that crazy. But 
they have an idea and it's the crew's job to execute it. So if she was captain, then this wouldn't be an issue necessarily because it was her plan and she's the captain, mm-hmm. but because she's not. So our, our issue isn't with the plan. It's with her effectively snubbing rank. No, no, I, 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 no, 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 I get your point, but that's, that's not what I, that's not the way I see it. If she was the captain, she has to be responsible for every life on the ship. But if she is just, you know, the first officer should be responsible for every life on the ship too. But, but I think because she, if she was the captain, I don't think she ever would have considered this idea because there's too much risk involved. Yeah, but think about the time she was in, though. I mean, didn't we just call them a bunch of space cowboys? Yeah, like she was in the era of cowboy diplomacy. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think, unfortunately, and I, I know you guys have talked about it, and I'm sure we've all talked about it at one point or another, that because the everything is looks so much more advanced that it almost tricks you into forgetting, you know, James T. Kirk on the bridge of a of an enterprise with a bunch of colored crystals everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think, I think there were definitely some more, but I agree. I mean, you do have to, you do have to take the consideration of the rest of the crew. And I think, I think the biggest over, I don't think it was an oversight. I think that she knew the reaction of the crew, but the biggest um, danger here was the Enterprise of, or the Enterprise, whoa, <laughs> reel that one back in, cut it out of the episode. Back the truck up. Discovery um, coming between the fire and effectively allowing her to have the time. And I think that, and it, this might be a bit of a reach, but I think that she anticipated that Saru, despite the fact that he disagrees with her, would back her up. However, what if somebody died due to that potential exchange? And that's that's where I think I you know I, I definitely agree that you have to sort of weigh those things, but I don't know would Captain Kirk have potentially done that? We've seen Kirk do some crazy stuff. <laughs> Kirk has done some crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, but like, how do you think? How, this is just a question. I don't know the answer to it. How do you think um, Kirk would react if Spock just decided to go off and do this on his own? Without, without telling him. How would Picard have reacted if Riker just went out and decided to do this on his own? Right? I think Janeway would have lost her. Yeah. Would have friggin' uh, lost it if Chakotay we, did we, something. We have seen Janeway lose her lose her yeah. stuff, right, when when Chakotay doesn't <laughs> agree with her. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not even that he does something, he just disagrees. Yeah, yeah. That's like, we get the <laughs> idea of Janeway the tyrant. Like, there's, there's yeah. my way and there's the Janeway. <laughs> there's the right way and there's the Jane way. I, I, I do think that they would be different reactions. This, this is just my my interpretation of, of the captains. I think Kirk would have one reaction and I think Picard would have a different an entirely different reaction. Um, but you know I, I do I do get your point so but but I do I do think that that Burnham did anticipate that Saru would figure it out. And he would, and he would do what he did. I think Burnham did have the foresight to know that, and I think even 
Georgiou in like the one moment that I don't mind her in this episode even even says like we should trust Michael in this moment that yeah. she knows what she's doing how would you feel if if uh, Michael ends up becoming like the Federation president I mean I already said she'd make a terrible captain <laughs> <laughs> now I run everything I mean, <laughs> I mean, she she hung the flag, man. She's already commissioned someone. I mean, she's effectively commissioned Saru. She's commissioned two officers, man. <laughs> and hung the flag. Admiral Burnham. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. There's a scary thought. <laughs> Admiral Burnham? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Please don't let me be under her direct chain of command. Well, too late. It's too late. <laughs> Have we talked this episode to death yet? I, I, yes, I think so. But I think there's one more thing that I want to bring up. Um, Do it. Make it so. So, we at the end, we come up with a diplomatic solution, right? Start talking to each other. And I like the idea that we resolve our situation without a big extended fight. I think this is the first episode where we haven't had a big long extended fight at the end you are right? correct sir and so i like that here um but then this captain doye says okay you've proven to us that we can trust you um we're going to let you come down to earth and to me it seems strange that there wasn't more of a hey let's go down to earth and let's spend some time there and let's look up what happened to all of our family and let's try and spend some time going through earth's historical archives to try and figure out what was happened it's just let's go down do some sightseeing five more hug, minutes hug tick, tick, we got, yeah five more minutes and then you gotta get up here and we gotta go it seems like they missed a big opportunity like they're trying to figure out what happened earth has to have some kind of archives that they can look through right I wonder if the captain of like, the card room is still there. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like what you could easily even if you don't want to show all the scenes where we're on Earth doing research, at the beginning of next episode you could say, Well, we've spent the past three weeks on Earth, like learning as much information as we could, and now we're gonna continue our journey. Something like that, instead of, okay, mm -hmm. at the end of this episode, now we're leaving. Safe journeys. I feel like that was just a really mm -hmm. big missed opportunity. And it, to me, it doesn't make much sense. We went down to see the tree at Starfleet Academy, which that's cool. It's a good image. It's a good. Yeah, it was a CGI tree. If you, watch, if you watch the ready room, apparently that was a CGI tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, to your point, like, why didn't we go to the library or go like get like a like a software update? For, for the L cars and be like, and and I mean, it would be too much. It would be too much just to go to the library to determine like what the burn is. I mean, like on episode three, but I mean, yeah. Why do you think we this do is that? like one of those residual like time things? Like we can't learn too much about the future just in case we go back to the past. So we don't change the past and change the future type of thing. Like we're gonna get it. We're gonna get visited by uh, uh, the temporal police. Oh, what are they? 
was a department that you know showed up in DS9. Yeah, and, yeah. The triple episode. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the, the time. Right, they, the, the, they, the time the cops. Time, time cops. John Claude Van Damme. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna show up. <laughs> yeah, you, you're right. It does seem kind of strange that they wouldn't want to just go to the library. You know, another or, thing or I find kind of or strange not, is... not even go to the library, but like, okay, look up what happened to my family members, something right. like that. Like, because I feel like a database. Like Tilly, Tilly made the, Tilly. We haven't even talked about Tilly in this ep, in this. Like, thank God we haven't talked about Tilly until now. Why did I even bring her up? But she says at the beginning, she's like. And I like the, this weight of now being in the future and what happened to all of my friends and family. They're all dead. But it's like, Tilly, you, you've been gone. You've been in the future for three days or two days, whatever. Like, it just like this emotional like moment that she's having doesn't really work for me. But if that's what you're thinking, here you are at Earth, like where they lived. Search through the records. Like... We saw that at the at, in the next generation at the end of season one. We wake up these people from cryo sleep, and Deanna mm-hmm. Troy helps that one woman search through the records to figure out what happened to her family. That's like the only thing she wanted to do, and they were able to go back hundreds of years to figure this out. And it just like that seems like something that this crew would want to do before they just all right, let's go. Mm-hmm. One other thing. So, who in engineering decided that we should make all of our ships, future ships, look like teeth? (laughs) They're just giant floating molars with roots and all. Seems real aerodynamic. (laughs) Well, I mean... even have, like, little bits that have split off like you broke your tooth. Well, who decided that the Enterprise should be, like, like a saucer with some toothpicks sticking out the back of it? (laughs) I'm just saying, I mean, teeth would not Gene be my Roddenberry. first thought for a ship. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this, like, with, with those with those ships, like, I don't I remember if it was the, the um, oh my gosh, like the shield generator things, or if it was the ship themselves, but they reminded me of the communication station uh, where we met, met our um, communications guru, right? Um, so I was thinking, like, hold on, is that a ship, or is that a station, or is it both? I don't know. I don't know. Both. Neither. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we the good the good news is we did get more of him. We got more. We got more of our communications officer, which I'm happy about, even if it was just like a little little blip at the very beginning um i want to see more of him for sure but with us having talked the mess out of people of earth i guess it's that time of engage where we got to rate this dang thing so uh, once again this is your first time listening to an engage episode uh we rate it from one being basically it's a dumpster fire to 10 being this is amazingly awesome and uh just this episode so gents Let's hear it. Dave, let's start with you on how you rated this episode. Mm, um, you know, o- overall, it was uh, it was a decent episode. Um, I'm not going to claim it was, like, my favorite, and I highly doubt it will be my favorite going forward. Um, I, I, 
it's just kind of it's just kind of average. It's not necessarily one that I would think about going back and like, you know, a year later and saying, "Man, I really want to watch those teeth ships again." So, <laughs> but as a part of a story, it's fine. So I, I I'm probably gonna like hover around maybe like a seven one. Okay, Eric. I totally agree with David's point that this is not going to be an episode that I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to go back and rewatch that episode. I think this is an episode that is going to be forgotten about in the long term. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's sad because it's the return to earth and which should be like a moment that we remember, but I really don't think we are. Um, this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes and I just, I'm wondering, is he losing his touch? Because, you know, he directed New Eden in, in season two, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the best episode of Discover, that Discovery has ever had um, across the two-plus seasons. But then he directed two episodes in Star Trek Picard, which were downright awful. Like, and I think Chase and I both agree that they were awful. Um, and then he directed this, and I'm just like... This episode is not good, in my opinion. I, I don't like this episode. I think it, it does have the more of a feel of a classic Star Trek episode than I think a lot of Discovery's had before, but it's really forgettable. And the things that are memorable for me are going to be the negative moments. And is this Jonathan Freak's fault? Is this the writing's fault? I don't know. But I'm going to give this episode a 6.7. Okay. And for me, I did enjoy this episode, but it's not going to be like one that I'm going to go back for like, you know, comfort food whenever I want to watch some Star Trek for crying out loud. Um, like, so I think we're, we're all in agreement on that one. Um, I, I liked, I did, the thing that stood out to me the most was like, we got to talk and we did talk and we realized that we're more alike than we are different which definitely has that Star Trek vibe to it. And I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, last week I gave the episode like a seven and three quarters. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Okay, so this week I'm giving this episode a 7.4. So I think, I mean, I think we're all kind of in agreement there. Like if you average average out our, th- our three scores, it comes out to like a seven, which is... Like not terrible, but it's it's just it's average. average. It's a C. Yeah, it's a C. It's a C minus. There we go. It's a C. It's a C minus. <laughs> <laughs> oh math. Well, um, so so that there we go. We got our three scores. It was what a seven point four, a seven point one, and uh, what did you say? Six point seven. Six point seven. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we're we're dealing with with a low C, and um, it's an average episode. And I'm sure there are people out there that really enjoyed this. And uh, wherever you guys landed, you know, let us know, um, send us a note or something like that, or leave a comment on the, um, the episode when it, whenever it drops, which you're listening to it right now, so it's already dropped. Um, it's all wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. We haven't, and we just got done with this whole like time shift. 
where we're we're gaining an hour, we're losing it. However you want to look at it, we're, freaking we're, time we're change. We're falling back, right? We're falling back. Yeah, we're falling. We get back. an extra hour yeah. of this 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 yeah, we, yeah. awful time we're in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, well, y'all, thank you for um for another episode of you know engage and talking about star trek discovery season three episode three people of earth we'll be back next week uh, at some point to talk about um episode four that's just that's kind of how it works with like math like it advances one up to the other with episodes eric's the math expert he can confirm that for us i can confirm is that, is that how that's how it works yeah okay good deal good deal <laughs> all right well thank you eric thank you david for joining me this week and um, again next week, hopefully, y'all will be back and not have to go to Starfleet Medical or anything like that, <clears throat> David. So, uh, anyway, let us, um, dear listeners, let us know what you think, what you thought about this episode um, is in your own viewing. Uh, do you agree? Do you disagree with our ratings of this particular episode? Make sure you check us out at trtvpod.com and to get in touch with us uh, by going there and checking out our handling frequencies. You can also do it the old manual way, the old, you know, 23rd century way of doing it. And that is to open handling frequencies and send a note to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also get in contact with us by sending us a voice only transmission to 817-752-4757. We realize it is kind of quaint, but there is a three minute time limit and your comments may be used on a future episode. And finally, if you do want to send us some stuff, Send us a handwritten letter. You can do that, which is very quaint. Um, so make sure you get to the Lone Star Station P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas 76098. Um, we appreciate having you people that are on Earth right now listening to this episode. And as always, as we leave here today, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so. Mm-hmm.